Well, turning your Bibles to, and I'm not going to be able to go very loud today, so turning your Bibles to Revelation 22 as we're finishing to the end, verse by verse, of the book of Revelation. We're seeing God's final revelation, and let's go to how we look at it. The book of Revelation, and this is what we saw at the beginning, is the information that God gave to Jesus, who gave it to his angel, who gave it to John, who then gave it to us. And of course, he wrote it to the seven churches that's found in the scripture and then the rest of this information that we have. We've seen a description of the eternal state. We've seen the end times, the rapture, the tribulation, the second coming of Jesus Christ, the great white throne judgment, of course, the thousand-year kingdom, and the eternal state. So this morning, we will finish out verse by verse, and next week, we'll put the whole book of Revelation together so we can see how it fits. Well, there's a truth that's found all the way through the Bible, and that is this, that salvation is a gift. It's free. It is by grace. It is a gift to us. It is not what we do. Salvation is always by faith alone and Christ alone. The, even in the book of Revelation at the end, it says, take the water of life without cost. So we realize that rewards are earned, but salvation is a gift. Salvation is a gift by faith alone and Christ alone for eternal life. And we, as a church, we hold to that message clearly that we want people to understand that they believe in Jesus to give them eternal life. Let me remind you the flow of the book. In chapter 1, we saw the instructions of, you know, John turned around and saw Jesus. Jesus gave him instructions. Chapters 2 and 3, the letters to the seven churches. Chapters 4 through 19 is the tribulation time period. We saw the, the bowl judgments and the trumpet judgments and the, all the different things in that. And then the kingdom is in 19 and 20. Jesus comes at, the, at 1911. He's coming as the king. Chapter 20 is the kingdom. Eternal state is chapters 21 and 22. And then final instructions are where we are. So we've been going through the book. We've gone through it in detail. And, to, and this morning, we're just going to finish up that part. Here's the that where we are, we're actually going to start about verse 10 because we went through the first nine verses last time. But <clears throat> this is Christ's final statement about his coming, how John responds, the final instructions and the warning, and then the closing. So there's a lot there. We have seen in the eternal state, there is a new heaven and a new earth and a new city called New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. That city is gigantic. It is 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles high. It has a giant wall around it. It has 12 gates. Each of the gates is a pearl. The names of the tribes of Israel are at the gates. There are 12 angels at the gates. There are 12 foundation stones. They're all different colors, and they're named after the 12 apostles. The streets are gold. There is the river of life and the tree of life we saw last week that produces fruit once every month, a different fruit, the best we could realize. This eternal state will go on forever. We who have believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life will be with Jesus Christ forever in this eternal state. Now, uh, realize that when John saw all this, it, it was so amazing. So at the end, what happens, he sees it all and he falls down. In fact, look at verse 8. It says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Now, John is so overwhelmed. He knows angels are not God. God, there's only one God. Angels are beings created by God. But he's so overwhelmed, he falls down to worship this angel. And of course, the angel tells him, don't worship me. Look at verse 9. And he said to me, do not do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and of your brothers, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. He says, worship God. Don't worship me. 
And that's really true. And the bottom line is there's only one God. There's only one God and Father. There's the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons, but there's only one God. And that's how it all functions. And what we see, and of course you can't understand that. You can believe it. You just can't comprehend it, how, how God can be one and three at the same time. So what happens? He falls down and says, wow. And the angel says, don't worship me. Worship God. And then look what happens at verse 10. And he said to me, now let me just say this to you. The best we can understand, this is this angel telling John this. And he said to him, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Now he says, don't seal up the book. <clears throat> the book of Revelation, sometimes people say things like, you can't understand it. But we've come, we've seen as we've gone through it verse by verse, passage by passage, that you can understand the book. He says, don't seal it up. Put it out that people know and understand because the time is near. In fact, he says, get this ready to go because the time is near. It's time for Jesus to come back. The book of Daniel, if you remember, in the Old Testament was a book very similar to this. Talked about the future, talked about the Antichrist, talked even about the kingdom. Well, the book of Daniel was sealed until this time. The book of Daniel and the book of Revelation go together, and they do. And we're seeing, as he says, do not seal up the words of this prophecy. What is it talked about in this book? Well, this is the chart we've seen over and over again. We have that chart out on the out there on the table. So if you want to pick this up, if you've never picked it up before, but if you notice, there's the first coming. Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, rose again, sent it back into heaven. Here's the church age. We're looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing. Jesus Christ is going to come in the clouds, take us off the face of the earth. Then it's going to be that seven-year time period called the tribulation. It's basically dealing with Israel. Antichrist puts his idol up in the middle. There's all the wars and the truth and the judgments. Then Jesus comes as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He sets up a kingdom on this earth for a thousand years. At the end of the thousand years is a judgment called Great White Throne Judgment. And then we go into eternity, which we have been seeing in the last few weeks uh, the, in Revelation chapters 21 and 22. And so when he says here, do not, <clears throat> he says, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. We can actually think about this, that it's the, the message of the book of Revelation, don't seal that up, and we see it, but there's also a great truth that the message of salvation, which is found in this book and found throughout the Bible, we got to proclaim that. Every one of us in this room, we have the privilege, we have the responsibility to tell people about Jesus Christ. So that's why he says, the time is near, the time is near. And so you and I must make that message clear. And so we can put it this way, he says, don't seal up the book. I talked about this in the first service, that there's so many people who will look at this book, and you can talk to people, and you say, hey, we're studying the book of Revelation, and many people say, well, you can't know it, you can't understand it, it's all symbolic, it's only happened in the first century, none of this is future, uh, nobody can know what's going on here. Well, we've seen over the, you know, it's been over a year, we've been going through this book, uh, we've seen verse by verse, passage by passage, how it fits together. And we've seen that you can understand it. You can understand how it fits together. So it's really powerful. So he says, don't seal up the book. Let it go. The time is near. Now this next verse is a little bit weird. Look what he says. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. Let the one who is filthy still be filthy. Let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. Let the one who is holy 
still keep himself holy. What that's saying, that's kind of a weird way, but he's really saying is, listen, no matter what, the message, no matter what's going on, people are going to be doing the same thing. There, there are going to be people, he says, those the people who are holy, still going to be holy. Those people who are sinful, still going to be sinful. He's basically saying, it's a Hebrew way of saying, some things are just going to keep on going and doing what they're doing. That's just the way it is. Even as the message of Jesus Christ goes out, even as the message of Revelation goes out, he's basically saying, look, some people are just going to keep on doing what they're doing. That's just the way it is. And, and it's just powerful. Realize that when Christ comes, it's too late. Some of these people have never believed when Jesus comes in the clouds and we're gone, it's too late uh, in the sense to escape the tribulation. It's never too late to believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. Now, so here's powerful. Now, watch what he does. He's going to, and th- let me tell you, there's a principle all the way through the book and all the way through the Bible and that, that salvation is a gift and rewards are earned. Salvation costs us absolutely nothing. Jesus died and rose again. Whoever believes in him has eternal life. Rewards of what we do and how we serve. We're going to notice in this passage, Jesus is saying, when I'm coming, I'm rewarding. Watch what he says, verse 12. Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to reward each one as his work deserves. Jesus says, I'm coming quickly, and I'm coming to reward. Uh, Jesus will deal with rewards. We've talked about this over and over. Every one of us in this room costs us absolutely nothing to have eternal life. Jesus did it all. He says, whoever believes in me will never perish but have eternal life. But to get rewards, that you live for Christ. Your life counts for Christ. You take the gifts, talents, and abilities that God's given you, and you use those for his glory. So that when you stand before him, when he comes, as he says, I'm coming quickly, when he comes, you will hear him say to you, well done, what? Good and faithful servant. That's what you want. And so he says, I'm coming, and I'm going to reward. And notice what he says, verse 12 again. Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me. He's going to give rewards, watch, to reward each one as his work deserves. So he's coming. So think about this. I'm coming quickly. I'm coming rapidly. And when he comes, it's going to happen fast. Listen, a lot of times people will read that, and they'll say, Jesus said he's coming quickly. Well, it's been almost 2,000 years. No, no, no. It doesn't mean he's coming right then. It means that when he comes, he comes fast. And we know that when he comes to get us, what's it going to be? A moment, a twinkle of an eye, and we'll be gone. When he comes, he comes fast. That's what he's saying. And so he says, I'm coming quickly. <clears throat> My reward is with me to reward each one of his, to each one as his work deserves. We realize that we're going to stand before Christ, every one of us, and rewards are for service, gifts are for are given as grace. We're going to stand before Jesus Christ. Salvation is a gift. By grace we are saved. Rewards are for service, those who are faithful and, and service. That's what we do. So watch this. Every believer, every one of you in this room, now hope and pray that every one of you in this room, you have believed in Christ for eternal life, that you know that you have eternal life. I do not want you sitting here saying, I hope I'm going to heaven someday. You can know for sure that you have eternal life when the Bible says whenever you believe in Christ, he gives you the gift of eternal life. You're trusting Jesus to give you eternal life. It is not your works, your goodness, it is faith alone. So every believer, we will stand before what is known as the judgment seat of Christ. The word judgment actually means rewarding. It's the Greek word bima. So here's what's going to happen. 
From we must, all of us, must stand before the Bema seat of Christ, that each one of us may be recompensed, rewarded for the deeds in the body, according to what he's done, whether good or, and this word just means worthless. You're going to stand before Jesus Christ someday as a believer, and what we want him to say is what? Well done, good and faithful servant. He may not say that. There are many people who are believers who've never lived for Christ. They've never used their gifts, talents, and abilities. They've just basically been saved and know they're saved and just go through life. And one day when they stand before him, according to 1 John, they'll be ashamed at his coming. That's a sad story. That's what it's going to be. So that's as a believer. Do you understand? Unbelievers will stand before Jesus Christ for their deeds. Notice this. Great white throne judgment. I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, whose presence heaven, earth and heaven fled away. There was no place found for them. Then it says, and the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in him. And they, this is the unbelievers, were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. I want you to understand, no one is judged for their sin. Jesus Christ has already paid for all sin. That's not the issue. The issue is, do you believe? If you believe in Christ, you have eternal life. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you don't have eternal life. And one day, as an unbeliever, you'll stand before Christ to be judged for your deeds. So it's powerful. He says, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me. And then, verse 13, he basically, what he does there is he gives us some statements. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. That's who he is. And, and think about this, Alpha and the Omega. And all he's saying there is, I'm the eternal God. And he says it in three different ways. As you know, the Greek alphabet, Alpha is the first letter and Omega is the last letter. We know what first and last means. We know what beginning and ends means. He is saying he's the sovereign God. Now, sometimes I think, and I'll stop and think, and I say, I think I can sort of imagine what it's like to keep on going. But I cannot imagine what it was like to never start. He's always existed from all time. He is everything. Psalm 90, before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He's always existed and always will. We cannot comprehend it. So he says, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And then this next verse. Now, let me just tell you, the next verse, it, there's, there's two ways to take the verse. And I'm going to put verses 14 and 15 together. Let me read them for you. Blessed are those who wash their robes so they might have the right to the tree of life and enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexual immoral persons, the murderers, the idolaters, everyone who loves and practices lying. When you look at this verse and he talks about blessed are those who wash their robes, when people look at the verse, there's two ways to look at it. Either this is a picture of eternal life salvation or a picture of Christian life who is faithful. And so I want to tell you that I've looked at it and looked at it and looked at it. I think that the best way to take it since the next verse is a contrast, I think he's saying, blessed are those who have believed in Christ, washed their robes, they get to be in the city. I think it's dealing with salvation. When he says outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, he's dealing with the unbelievers. So I think it's both. He can say Christian life, but I think really the answer is this is talking about salvation, eternal life salvation. So look what he says. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they will have the right to the tree of life. I think he's saying, there's the believers who've got the robes. Uh, they get the tree of life. They get to be in the city. But look what's next. But outside 
of the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral persons, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. So there's a contrast. And outside of the unbelievers, they're not included in the city. And so what we understand, and let me just say this, we've talked about this for several weeks. It's hard to grasp this. We know there's this giant city. And the city come out, comes down out of heaven, comes to the earth. We don't know if it lands on the earth. We know that there's the walls around the city. We know that we're probably going to live in the city. But when we go outside, the gates are open. We can go in and out of the gates anytime we want to. Will we live somewhere on the new earth? Will we only live in the city? Will we be able to go to two different places? We, we don't even know. It says outside this city is the lake of fire where the unbelievers are. They're not included in the city. Now, some have asked, well, you mean the lake of fire may be on the new earth? I, I, it, I don't know. It's outside the city is all we know. And the unbelievers can't go into the city. So I see the contrast here of those who've washed their robes, that's by faith. They get the tree of life, enter the city, get to go in and out of the gates, but the unbelievers don't get to go in and out of the gates. They're not there, they're, they're somewhere else. So when people say to you, um, what's it going to be like? Are we, we live in the city? I think we will. Will we live somewhere on the earth? I don't know. Maybe we'll have a summer home. Uh, who knows? We don't know what, because he just doesn't give us the information. But one thing, and here's the real key. The, the, well, let me go past that right there. The key point is believers will be in the city and unbelievers will be outside the city. And I don't mean that they'll be hanging around the gates Unbelievers are cast where? Into the lake of fire. So what we see here is the believer will be in the holy city forever, and the unbeliever will be outside of the city forever. That's what he does in these, two, in these verses. Now let me remind you of what is not in the city. The eternal state, unbelievers aren't, aren't in the city. Temple, there won't be a temple. There won't be pain. There won't be sickness. There won't be tears or sorrow. There won't be death. There won't be the sun or the moon. There won't be night. There won't be a curse. There'll be no separation. When you look at that, you'll say, what? you mean there's going to be a world where no pain and sorrow and death and sickness and curse and, and, and we'll be able to worship God and we'll always be there. And that's true. Every one of us in this room, you've got something wrong. If something may be hurting with you, something in your family's gone, your body may be wearing out, there may be other things happening to you, there may be problems, trials, ups, downs. In this life, there is sorrow, there is sadness, there is death, there's all those kind of things that happen. But one day, when we get here, it'll be nothing. There won't be pain or sickness or sorrow or death or night or curse or, or any of that. We will be with Jesus Christ and he'll be the light of the world, and we'll be able to go in and out those gates, and we'll be in that city and out of that city, and we're able to do whatever we want. Tom Costell was one of the professors that I had at Dallas Seminary. He was such a great teacher. Uh, <clears throat> he's retired from Dallas Seminary. He still does a lot of good teaching. He gives a contrast. I thought this would be interesting for you to look at. He gives a contrast between the beginning book, Genesis, and the ending book, Revelation. Look what he says. In Genesis, Heavens and earth are created in Revelation, a new heavens and earth. In Genesis, the sun is created in Revelation, there's no sun, no need of the sun. In Genesis, the night is established in Revelation, there's no night. The sea 
In Genesis, the sea's created. There's no more sea in Revelation. The curse is announced in Revelation because of sin. There's no more curse anymore. Death enters history because of sin. There's no more death. Man was driven from paradise. Man's restored to paradise. There's sorrow and pain. They all begin in the book of Genesis. They all end. No more mourning, crying, or pain. In the, and so it's just powerful. Are you looking forward to that? Now, I know we've talked about this before. If you're older and things are wearing out, you're saying, boy, I wish Jesus would come. If you're younger, you're saying, well, I want to do this, and I want to do this, and I want to do this. And I have to tell you, when I was younger, I thought, I thought gee, I've got a lot of things I'd like to do. Now that I'm older, I think I've done all I want to do. I'm ready for him to come. And many of you in this room, you're saying, I'm ready for him to come. For young people, you may say, I'm not quite ready. Just, just realize one thing. What we have here is nothing compared to what we're going to have. Nothing compares to it. So, so powerful. So he says, blessed are those who wash the robes. They get the tree of life and get to eat tree of life and enter the city. And then he says in verse 16, he says, I, Jesus, now Jesus is speaking. I have sent my angel to testify to you of these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. So Jesus said, I sent my angel. If you remember at the very beginning of the book of Revelation, John was on the island of Patmos. He says it was in the Lord's day, meaning it was Sunday. And he was worshiping and he heard this noise and he turned around and there was Jesus and, and this fire thing around him. And, and he sent an angel to tell John all of this information. So Jesus at the end says the same thing. I have sent my angel to testify to you of these things for the churches. These are the things you have to tell the churches. And then he says, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. He talks about, he gives two more titles, and one is the root and offspring of David. He comes from David. A lot of people don't grasp this. They don't understand it. King David was promised by God that a, his descendant would be the Messiah and the Savior, the one who would be the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and the one who would rule everything for all time. That's why he keeps calling himself, I'm the offspring of David. If Jesus Christ had not come and set up a kingdom and ruled on this earth and then rules for all eternity, God's promise would have never come true. All of God's promises always come true. He says, I give you eternal life and you shall what? Never perish. That's true. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. What should you fear? That's true. He says, I'll supply all your needs according to my riches and glory. That's true. Everything that he ever promises is always true. He says, I'm a descendant of King David. That's the plan. By the way, we talked about this. You know, when, when he sets up the kingdom, now this is, this is before the eternal state, Jesus will rule from Jerusalem as the King of kings and Lord of lords. King David will rule under Jesus. And then King David will rule over the 12 tribes of Israel and the apostles will rule over the 12 tribes. And then we'll be scattered, thus, we'll be scattered all over the world. So he says, I'm the, the descendant of David. And then he says, I'm the bright morning star. It's, it's always a picture of beginnings. New beginnings called the morning star has that idea of something new is about to happen. <clears throat> well, before my voice goes all the way out, you cannot, cannot miss verse 17 because this is the last offer. 
the final offer of salvation in the scripture. And notice how he puts it. The spirit and verse 17. The spirit and the bride say come. And let the one who hears say come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without cost. Isn't that beautiful? What does it cost you? What does the water of life cost you? Cost you absolutely nothing. Notice how the verse says it. The spirit and the bride say come. Well, who is the spirit? It's the Holy Spirit. Who's the bride? That's us. We, the church, we get to offer the salvation. We tell people to come to Jesus. We tell people to believe in Jesus Christ. He says, let the one who hears say come. Listen, how do you hear? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's it. That's why we tell people the Bible. That's why we tell people the truth. That's where people can grasp it. Then he says, let the one who is thirsty come. Thirsty. They need a savior. And then finally, let the one who desires take the water of life without cost. That's it. It's a gift. Salvation is always a gift. Please don't add works to it. Don't say you need to turn away from your sins, give your life to Jesus, walk down an aisle, make some kind of profession. Just remember, it's a gift, and you take it freely. What does it cost? What does the water of life cost? (coughs) It costs absolutely nothing. And the same message to Adam and Eve and Noah and Abraham and David and Daniel and the church. It is the message of salvation. It is John 3.16. For God so loved the world. This is the message that he gave his son to die and rise again. That whosoever would believe, that's the response, would never perish but have. Here's the offer. Eternal life. Jesus died and rose again. Whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. Jesus Christ offers to everyone the gift of eternal life, all who will simply believe. It's that simple. It's that simple. Now, I'm going to end this right here because he says in verse 18, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in the book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy... God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. He says there are consequences if you mess with the Bible, and his consequences if you mess with this book. In this passage, he's talking about the book of Revelation. So he says, do not add or take away from the word, the book of Revelation. But it is also true, you're never to add and take away from the scripture in any place. In fact, let me show you something. This is Deuteronomy. If I, there it is. You shall not add to the word which I've commanded you, nor take away from it, so that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I'm commanding you. That's the first five books. Look at this one. Proverbs. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words. He will rebuke you. In this passage, he says, if you add to or take away, there are going to be consequences. And he says, if there's takeaway, there's plagues and judgment. If, 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 you, if you take away or if you add to it. Let me just say to you, there are groups out there that add all the time. They'll say, here's the Bible, but we got something on par with the Bible. It's equal to it. And so you have to have both. There's also some new translations. And if you want to find out what they are, I'm not even going to say it this morning. But if you want to find out, call me. There are some translations that add to the scripture. Right now, they're out there. In fact, one translation is the second leading translation in the United States, and it adds to the scripture. So be careful. They take verses, 
and they add stuff in that passage that are not in any of the manuscripts. They're not found anywhere. People add to the Bible and they make it say things that it doesn't say. He says there are going to be consequences if people add to or take away from the book of Revelation. And then he says, he who testifies of these things says, and that's Jesus, and he says, yes, I'm coming quickly. And then John says, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. What does Jesus say? I'm coming quickly. And you and I could say, well, John wrote this about 95 AD, and this is 2024. That's been a long time. Well, when he comes, he's coming fast. So be ready. He says, amen, which means it's true. Come, Lord Jesus. Do you want him to come? Do you want him to come? It's easy to say, come on, Lord, and then say, well, I hope it's not right now, though. We want it to be now. We look at our world. Is it getting, is, it's getting a lot better, isn't it? No, we all know it's getting so bad. We look at things. We see the culture. We see the government. We see the things, and we go, oh, my gracious. How much longer is this going to go on before Jesus comes and gets us? It could be at any second. Look how he ends the book. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. It's grace. Grace be with you. And as I always put it here, God always deals with man in grace. Listen, if he dealt with us in law, we'd all be dead. If he didn't deal with us in grace, we would all be dead. He deals with us in grace. So he says, don't seal up the book. I'm coming to reward. Believers are in the city. Unbelievers are out of the city. Salvation is offered. There's judgment coming. And so let me give you just quickly, uh, let's make known the message, okay? Let's make known the salvation message. Now, we could say this. Let's make known the message. Let me, I put three things up here. Let's make known the message of revelation. Can we understand it? Did we go through this over a year and a half, and could we understand the book? The answer is yes. When somebody says to you, you can't understand Revelation, you say, of course you can. It's God's word, and he told us to study it and know it. So we can. So let's make known this message of Revelation. Let's also make known how the end time events fit together. If you need that chart, we've got the chart right out there, that blue little thing that gives how it breaks up. And then let's teach clearly the way of salvation. It is simply by faith alone and Christ alone. Remember, Jesus died and rose again, and all who believe in him will never perish, but have everlasting life. The second thing, let's remember the message we have is a grace message. Salvation is offered freely, always offered freely. And uh, salvation is by grace, rewards are for service. So don't get them mixed up, because people do. People, listen, I know people who believe that salvation is the reward of living a good life. And they'll say, if you live a good life, you get to go to heaven. They think salvation is a reward. Salvation is a gift. It's by faith alone and Christ alone. It is not a reward. We could never do anything good to gain salvation. Rewards are for service. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you're saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works as anyone should boast. And finally, let's look forward. To Christ coming for us. When could he come? Any second. Before we threw right here, he could come. And so we, we, we're looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. And so as I put this up, this is us. This is where we are. 
They're right there. He could come at any second. And when he comes, he's going to come quickly. And when he comes, he's going to take us out. And then we're going to see that tribulation thing that we saw in the book. And then we're going to come back with him and be with him for a thousand years on this earth. And then he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And we'll spend all eternity with him. So as we're looking for Jesus to come get us right here, number one, it's a great comfort to know. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, therefore comfort one another with these truths that Jesus is coming to get us. It's a great hope. Titus 2 says we're looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Savior. And then the Bible tells us that when we're looking, when we're waiting for him to come, it makes us pure, 1 John chapter 3. So may we know this message of grace as we live looking for our Savior, understanding how the book of Revelation fits together. And of course, next week, we'll put the whole thing together for you one more time so that we can see it.